Well, this evening to begin with, I want to take you all the way back to the year 1890. And in the year 1890, Queen Victoria was the Queen of the UK. This church building was opened. And in a small town in Indiana, in the United States, a young boy called Arnold was being brought up. He was born and he was raised there. And this kid, Arnold, was a dreamer. He would say to his parents, who were farmers, I'm going to make it someday. I'm going to be a somebody someday. And everybody told him to cool his expectations. When he was about seven years old, his father died. And that meant that he had to basically look after his siblings, look after them, cook for them. And he learned a lot by doing those things. But he maintained that one day he was going to make it. He became an adult, and he set off into the big bad world, trying to make a mark for himself. And he had a go at pretty much anything. He got into the steam business, and got into trying to make steam rollers. It didn't work out very well. He turned his hand to law, and tried being a lawyer. It didn't turn out very well, and he didn't make much money. He got married, and that didn't turn out very well as well. But always in the background, he had cooking. That thing that he started to learn to do when he was seven years old. And he devised a kind of fast food recipe, which he thought was amazing. He set up a restaurant to sell this fast food, and it didn't do very well. By this point, he is getting on a bit. And that thought of making a mark on the world was dwindling. There were people who supported him and said, yes, you can, yes, you can, who believed in him. But there were many others who laughed at him as well. He decided that the way forward was to pattern and sell the recipe for this fast food. And he went to over a thousand restaurants to try and sell this recipe. All of them said no. In the end, he went and set up a restaurant for himself and At the age of 65, it took off. 25 years later, when he died, he was a billionaire. And his name, as he's known as, was Colonel Saunders, whose face can be seen in most major towns in the UK, if not the world. Now, you don't have to be a fan of fried chicken, or fast food, or even the Colonel, to be somewhat inspired by his story. His is a story of rugged determination, never giving up, and keeping going forward. For me, it's also a story of wanting a rubber in the faces of those who scoffed at you and laughed at you throughout the years. How many times did he want to go back to those thousand people and say, told you it was good, and you missed out? How many times did he want to go back to all those scoffs and say, You were wrong, weren't you? If he did, he was justified in doing so. If he thought about it, he was over more justified in doing so. How many of us have had that same experience? How many of us have been told by that person or those people that you won't be able to do what you want to do? Told by that parent, told by that teacher, told by that person in authority over us, told by that person of, you can't do that. And then you do do it, and all you want to do is show off that you've done it. 
There will always be people, wherever you go in life, who will say, you can't do this. And often, as human beings, our instinct is to say, yes, I can. Yes, I will. Jesus was scoffed at a lot in his life. He scoffed at today, isn't he? People will make fun of Jesus. They will knock him. They will say he wasn't really who he said he was. But that's nothing new. Wherever he went 2,000 years ago, people would say to him, you're not who you say you are. And no more was this true than in his hometown. And today in our gospel reading, that is where we pick up the story. Jesus, last week we heard about, was in the desert. Now he has come out of the desert and has started going to synagogues. He has started preaching about the kingdom of God. At this point in the history of the world, synagogues were pretty new inventions. They were springing up in communities in the Holy Land, and they were, if you like, the chapels of the day, the places where communities would gather to worship the Lord. A synagogue was a large space with a room and little rooms along the side. If we were to rebuild this church, knock it down and start again, we would build a building very similar to a synagogue. Simple, straightforward, lots of space, lots of places to have lots of little meetings. And they were ruled over by community elders, the synagogue rulers, the ruling elite, the well and the great of their own communities. Now Jesus was going back to this synagogue in Nazareth, to see his own people, to see those elders who saw him when he was a small boy, to see those elders who knew his family, to see those elders who knew his dad, to see those elders who knew that his dad was a manual worker. And he got to read the scriptures. He got up an incredible honor, and no doubt they thought they were passing on this great honor to him, to get up and read. And he read those words and through those words declared that he was the Messiah. And yes, some people were amazed, but still some people scoffed. When he rose from the dead, if I was Jesus, I would want to strut right back into that synagogue and say, told who I was, didn't I? But Jesus, thankfully, is a lot more classier than me. But there is some important lessons in all of this for us today. Important lessons about people. Important lessons about how we interact with people. And important lessons, I guess, in how we accept people. Those who scoffed and mocked Jesus weren't doing so really because they were mean. They were doing so out of a human instinct of thinking he can't be that special. And that is just as much a human instinct as anything else. When I was in school, I was in an English lesson one day, and we had this wonderful, inspiring teacher called Mr. McAleer. And Mr. McAleer asked us one day to write down what our prejudices were. Shock. None of us are prejudiced. And he said, you know what? You are. Every one of you is prejudiced in some way. 
You might not know it. You might not like it. But every one of you in some way is prejudiced. Because it's part of human instinct. And you've got to get your heads around it. Because at some point you will grow up with it. At some point you will pass on the prejudice. And at some point you will experience the prejudice. It could be over something incredibly major. It could be over your accent. It could be over the words that you use and the way you talk. It could be that you don't pronounce your H's. It could be over all of these things, but you will experience a prejudice of some kind. So what are your prejudices? And all of us kind of wrote down things that, okay, we perhaps would struggle with, but we didn't like it. We are all prejudiced in some way. That's part of the human condition. We as human beings tend to be drawn to what we know, what we understand, what we can get our heads around. And in some ways, that's fine. If, for example, like me, you're a fan of rugby and you're not so sure of football, it's okay to hang out with people who love rugby. If you love football, hang out with people who love football. My friends, who I'm still friends with, who I grew up with, we're all mates because we all love the same kind of rock music. That's what you do. You hang out because of those shared interests. But this is a challenge for the church. Because in the church, we are made up of all kinds of people. We are all kinds of people with all kinds of interests, all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of things going on. We are people of different races, different languages, different genders. We are people who have different things happening. We have different interests, different hobbies, different fascinations. And the easiest thing to do is only recognize those who are like us. Only recognize those who look like us, think like us, talk like us. Only recognize those who are gifted, who are like us. And that is an incredibly dangerous place to be. Many of the people who didn't accept the ministry of Jesus in that synagogue were doing so because he wasn't like them. Because they knew his past, they knew his family, and surely he couldn't be the Messiah. Surely it couldn't be him because of who he was. We say all the time, all of us are gifted by God. The Holy Spirit falls on all of us. Yet if that's true... Why is it only a small percentage of us who do things in our churches? We are all gifted. And the job for us is to recognize the giftings in each and every one of us. And not condemn people. We are not called to be condemners. There is no spiritual gift called condemnation. But there is a spiritual gift called encouragement. We are called to be encouragers of each other and recognize those gifts in each other. And if somebody comes to us and say, I think I'm gifting this, and we automatically say, based on our previous knowledge of them, no, you're not, then we are the ones in the wrong. Throughout the history of the church, and even in this church, I wonder how many incredibly gifted people have been ignored because they don't fit. They face doesn't look the way it should. How many people who are ignored? In reality, we are a diverse group of people. We have our own abilities, our own disabilities, our own diversity. 
Yet we believe in a God who gives gifts to all of us. In my home parish, there were two churches. One on the estate, which Liz talked about a couple of weeks ago, actually, and, if you like, the mother church, the main church. And there was one guy who turned up at the mother church, and he was a lovely, lovely guy, and he said one day, I'd like to pray, and people said, no, you can't do that. He had a lisp, he spoke in a certain way, and people said, no, that's not for you. Try the church up the road. He went to the church up the road, he prayed, and you could see Jesus shine from him when he prayed. How tragic it was that the one place didn't recognize him. May we never fall into that trap. May our hearts never be that hard because those were the hard hearts who didn't recognize Jesus when he proclaimed who he was. Now we could, I guess, give a little defense of those in Nazareth and those especially who said that Jesus couldn't be the Messiah based on this reading from Isaiah. We could do that. And in some ways, we'd be right to do that. It is very easy to not accept the prophet as owner in their own town. It is easy to look and say, oh yeah, but come on, it can't be him. There's only going to be one Messiah. What's the odds of him rocking up today in our synagogue? It is easy to think that way. But we've also got to remember something else. And that is, this is an account of Jesus according to those synagogue rulers. This is an account of Jesus according to St. Luke. And St. Luke is a historian. And St. Luke was a historian writing initially for one person, Theodopolis. We can't view this passage through the sandals of those synagogue rulers, we've got to slip on Theodopolis's and see what he was reading. Because he read about the foretelling of Jesus. He read about John the Baptist. He read about the baptism of Jesus. He read about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. He read about the birth of Jesus, who Jesus was, and here it was Jesus proclaiming publicly for the first time after doing all of that, I am the Messiah. Blow your mind stuff. Imagine reading that for the very first time. You've gone on this journey, you are reading these pages, and you read that Jesus is the Messiah. Boom! That hits you like a ton of bricks. Jesus quoting Isaiah. Jesus saying, I am the Messiah. Deal with it. Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem, whoa, that's what the Messiah did. Jesus, who was raised in Nazareth, that's what the Messiah did. Jesus, who was tempted but didn't give in like the Messiah would do, now saying he is the Messiah. This is going to be really fun. This is where it gets really, really exciting. And all of this shows the continuity, the continuity of Christ Luke was keen for Theodopolis to know and for us to know that Jesus didn't just get up from nowhere and say, by the way, I'm the Messiah. This was work that had been going on for years before. 
months before, since his birth. In fact, since before his birth. Since the prophet Isaiah. In fact, since before the prophet Isaiah, since the fall of humanity. Jesus is consistent with everything. Jesus is consistent with the Messiah. Jesus is consistent with what we could come to expect of the Messiah. It is a consistent story. Often we say that Jesus was radical, and to a point he was, but he was only radical to the eyes of those who saw him. He was radical, but he was only keeping in continuity with what had come before. He was keeping constant with the scriptures. He was keeping constant with what was promised, and he was fulfilling what was promised. He was fulfilling the law and the prophets. And we are called to join in in that story as well. We are called to be consistent in what Jesus did. And that's why the Bible is so important. That's why the Bible is something we ignore at our peril. Jesus used the Bible. He used the scriptures to point out that he was the Messiah. And we need to keep in with the teachings of the scriptures. There are 66 books in the Bible, 27 in the New Testament. But between the 26th and the 27th, there's a big gap. The 27th tell us about Jesus' return and the 26th talking about how the church should be. There is a big gap where we are now. Where we are now and the church grows. The untold story, the non-biblical story, but the story of Christ at work today. The story that we are called to be consistent with Christ in. And if we need to be reminded about what the ministry of Christ was, just read again those words from Isaiah that he read. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus was anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life of justice and show how justice should be done. He came to bring physical healing to those who needed healing and he came to bring forgiveness for those who need forgiveness. Jesus came to make this world a better place for heaven to touch earth in every way so that those who are hungry are fed, those who are thirsty are given a drink. Those who are naked are clothed. Those who are without have. Those who are sick can receive healing. And those who need it, which is all of us, by the way, receive forgiveness. And if we want to be consistent with what this word says, if we want to be consistent in the ministry of Jesus... And if we want to see people come to know Jesus, that is the message that we need to preach as well. That Jesus has come into the world. He hasn't come into the world to make people poor. He has come into the world to help people. He hasn't come into the world to make people ill. 
He has come to heal people. He has come into the world to offer that forgiveness. Jesus stood up in the synagogue and he said those words. Some people believed, some people didn't. He, even though he was God on earth, had no control over that fact. He had no control over those who would believe and those who wouldn't. All he was was faithful in doing what he had to do. And that is what we are called to be as well, faithful in proclaiming, in our actions, in our words, that people see us and they see him at work. We are called to be faithful. Some people will scoff at us. Some people will laugh at us. On the day of judgment, we're never going to go back and say, see, told you I was right and you were wrong. But the word needs to be told. This is Jesus. He is the Messiah. And all of us are gifted in doing it. For those who feel the least, we are gifted. For those of us who tonight who feel like we're ignored, you are gifted. For those who feel like you were laughed at, the Lord isn't laughing at you. He is encouraging you. For those who think you're not good enough, the Lord thinks you are good enough. For those who think that their disability means that they can't, the Lord says you can. For those who think that their past means they can't, the Lord says that they can. For those who feel like they are crippled with sin and they've done such terrible things, the Lord breaks those chains and says you are free. You are free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This is the challenge that we've got, beautiful people, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This is what Jesus came to earth to do. This is what Luke talked about. These are the words that Theodopolis read for the first time. And these are the words that we are hearing again now. Let's take that call seriously. Let us acknowledge who Jesus is. Let us cast aside all that we think we are about ourselves and what people have put on us. Let us be consistent with his word and let us see his kingdom truly grow. Let's pray. Father God, this evening, as we come here, we do give thanks for your word. Lord, we give thanks that since the creation of the universe, you were there. You formed us in your own image and you formed us in love. Since the fall of human beings and sin coming into the world, you came with your plan to bring salvation to the world. We give thanks, Lord, that we are part of that plan. And Lord, now we give thanks that we are gifted. 
for those who have spoken ill words over us, false words over us, we repent for them and those words that have been said. For those who have tried to knock our confidence, we repent. For those who have tried to tell us that we are useless for whatever reason at all, we repent for them. For those of us who have done those things, we say sorry as well. And Lord, we ask you would help us to know that we are gifted in your name. We pray, Lord, this evening that we would know just how gifted we are in you. And I pray now, Lord, even if it is just for a moment, we would know how special we are to you. And all these negative things would just be broken. We pray, Lord, giving thanks for your word and that we would be consistent with your word, faithful to your word and faithful to your calling. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us the gifts that we need to go into this world and proclaim your goodness, declare the year of the Lord's favour, to give sight to the blind, to set the captives free. And we pray that those who are held captive now, who don't know you, will be set free. We pray it over this community and we pray it over this world. Set us free where we need it as well. Bring your freedom to us. So we pray this now in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen.